Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's September. We're back. We're back. We are. But it's September with a difference, Lorraine. Do you know why? Something very important's going on in the world. Do you know what it is? I don't know. Better not be anything to do with anything I don't like. Making me grumpy. <laughs> Tell me good stuff. This is definitely going to make you grumpy. It's the Rugby World Cup, which I have to say I'm very excited about, but it just means there's a lot of rugby going on in our house. Lots of watching very large men with big muscles scrabbling around for a ball doesn't enter my world couldn't care less could you well it's not that i couldn't care less i just know zero it's a subject i know zero about zero now could be the time start but i have to say you know from all of our magazine editor glam gadding around the globe fashion shows do you know one of the most exciting things i ever did i got to train with the all blacks I don't know what that sentence means, Trish. <laughs> what are the All Blacks? Explain me. Who are they? It's the New Zealand rugby team. Oh. Anyway, I've got I've got about eight weeks to work on you. Maybe I will get you to watch the final. Who knows? No, hold on. Rewind <laughs> to training with the All Blacks. What oh, yes. does that mean? Did you just run around the field with really large men holding a funny-shaped ball? I did. I learnt to kick a ball with Bowden Barrett. Our producer, Ben, will know who he is because he's a big fan. Um, I tackled some things, played a bit of a game. It was very exciting. Did injure my little finger, though, so it didn't all end well. But how did you deal with the kind of assortment of visuals and all those things that normally set you off on the tube, for example? How did you deal with that? I don't know. I don't know. Rugby's different. Love it. Love it. All right. Putting it on my list. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hot house, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we are experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Here we come again. See what I did there, Trish? I've started off singing, singing a tune for you. I, I have adapted our leader, Dolly Parton's lyrics for us because we are back, baby. It's season 10. It's bigger. It's better. The name dropping. (laughs) going to be off the scale this time, isn't it? Because we've got some headliner names here that are um, almost as good as the pyramid stage. Glastonbury, aren't they, for our guests? Yes, they are. But can I just point out, in four years of us podcasting, yeah, you've never sung anything. It's always me who's been the singer. Something's changed. Well, you like it, don't you? You're a, you're, you've got a 
huge need for attention that I don't have. Yeah, but listen, Margot's <laughs> here. You're going to upset her with all that giddy singing and giddiness. You know she doesn't like that giddiness and talk of other famous women because she's the main headliner <laughs> around here, isn't she? She's she's our queen, Queen Margot. She's our queen. I, yes, I forgot. How could I forget, Margot? Anyway, we have got a fabulous guest lineup uh, for the podcast and we're also covering many wonderful subjects for midlifers. All your questions answered, loads of brilliant advice coming your way, listeners, on this podcast. Or, as one of my favourite reviews of our show read, we're just two women waffling on about bins. <laughs> That's bin wins, isn't it? We might do a bin yeah. wins special. Maybe. It's maybe. Anything could happen. I don't think you're ever going to forget that little comment. That's the highlight of my <laughs> career, that review. Two women waffling on about bins. Oh. Before we get into it this season, should we have a little update on what we've both been doing while we've been off air? Been doing things, haven't we? Life carries yes. on. Things happen. I mean, you flew south. You're like a migrating bird, aren't you? You're always heading south. You never go north, do you? I'm always heading south. Yes, I think Watford's about as far north as mm. I've been in the last few years. Yes, I headed to Cornwall. I was very lucky to get a month off, which is the first time I think ever in my career. It was a kind of combination of circumstances. My husband got made redundant, had some time off, didn't he? has got another job. It's all fine now. But it meant we could all be together. And at one point, all of us were there, which was very lovely, all six of us. We celebrated my eldest 21st. Aww. Can you imagine? 21. I know. Trish. I saw the pictures. Lovely. I know. I know. Um, bit rainy. We called it Novaugust. <laughs> so it was quite rainy. So I noticed the sun came out when we came back. November rain. Um, and I, I sort of learned a little bit about myself, but I had a little incident, Trish, that I wanted to run past you and I thought I'll save it for the podcast. Oh. Um, I made a bit of a fuss about some uh, decrepit old wooden sunbeds that we had in our house there. Yeah, um, We have a house in Cornwall because I grew up there and it makes it easy for me to visit my parents who are quite elderly. Anyway, these sunbeds were, were just falling apart and I made a giant fuss because Mr Candy said, oh, I've got loads of old bits of wood to mend them. And I <laughs> thought, well, they'll look terrible. I don't want to lie on bits of wood. So uh, my friend Victoria and I said, you know what, we'll just get up early and we'll go and get our own sunbeds. We'll just go to home base. There's a sale on. Oh, and buy some. Yeah. We'll go and do it. Take the car. Did we apply any practical thought to this situation. Couldn't get them in the car? Well, I had to do something I hate to do, Trish. It's, it's just, it was an awful moment. Go on. To ask a man to help me. Oh, no, because you couldn't lift them. Well, it was like a scene from some kind of awful sitcom. As soon as we got outside home base, the trolley went down the hill, willed oh. away from us. We chased it. <laughs> One of the sunbeds fell off. Oh. Um, and a man came running across and said, do you want some help? And I could tell he was quite worried about asking two yes. women in midlife, angry, rage-filled women mm. in midlife who want some. We said, well, okay, well, if you, you could help us because you're taller than us. And that's, you know, obviously we can't get it in the back of the car. Oh, you had to rationalise it. Mm. But it was quite interesting because he was quite wary. He was a midlife man himself of asking us whether we needed help or not. Well, that's fair enough. I'm just wondering what James's reaction. He must have been livid with you. Yes, it's livid is the actual word. He was quite cross when <laughs> he, he was when raging. He got up and saw these <laughs> lovely new sunbeds. Hastily put together. Oh dear, sunbeds. oh dear. Anyway, so what happened to you and uh, the wild man Neil and his power washer? 
now that you're free from your kids being around all the time, your 19-year-old twins? Well, yeah, summer was a bit different this year because um, they don't want to come away with us. They're not interested in that anymore, which obviously uh, frees you up to do other things and um, saves a bit on the old bank balance. But actually, I did do something with each of them this summer. So I wanted to make sure that we had some quality time together. And so Esme and I headed off to East Sussex for a couple of days. We did some quite cultural things. We went to Charleston Farmhouse. You know that? Oh, I know of that. Yes, it's an Instagram favourite. It is. It's beautiful. Highly recommend that. It was the country home of Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant, the Bloomsbury set. Lots of sexy shenanigans went on there, but um, very small beds. It's very strange. Not that that should be the only thing that I remember about it, obviously. <laughs> it was beautiful, lovely, beautiful garden. So that was very, very, very nice. And then with uh, with my son, we finally got to the, I'm going to say it wrong, Yayo Kasama Infinity Rooms at the Tate, which I know you took Sky to, didn't you? Which was yes, beautiful. Yes. We had a day out, went to the Tate Modern, looked at that, went to Borough Market, spent £12 on a falafel wrap. Can you believe that? £12. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Oh, I love a falafel wrap, though. I'd spend £100 on the falafel wrap. It's one of my favourites. His beige chicken and rice combo that he had, £14. But it was all ahead because, of course, we've been getting uh, the kids ready for uni as well, haven't we, over the last yeah. few days. And, in fact, we did a little uni special podcast, didn't we? A little one-off. We did. With, with two of yes. our very teenagers telling... Uh, their tales of starting university life. So if anybody is uh, facing that, if they've got that happening imminently, do go and have a look at that podcast. Um, it was lovely. Also went to a beautiful wedding party and had to say goodbye to a lovely friend who's moved to Northern Ireland. They keep moving away. I don't like it. Midlife happens, doesn't it? Anyway, it was lovely. But Good. we're going to talk a little bit in a minute. We are. About we are. Yes. More of what we learnt. Yes. I like to hear about your memories of summer. So we should get on uh, with the show. And I think we need to start by dipping back into something that we are best known for on this uh, podcast, which is our Brain Fog blooper chart. Yes. It's a doozy, as they say this week. Um, so to refresh your memory, see what I did there? We got a long running chart on this show of all our menopausal brain fog moments, which we like to chat about. Um, and we chat about them here and on our private Facebook group because we don't want anyone to feel like they're going mad or they are alone in this kind of behaviour. It's not really about us being incompetent as we age. It's more about the fact we've got so much to do, we just can't remember it all. Uh, it's quite funny, though, and it's good to remember them. So I am starting with Candice. <laughs> And her speeding fine letter, which is really funny. She wrote about this on uh, Facebook, and I think I've done this as well. She kept filling in the form after she got the fine and wondering why the form just kept coming back to her. Not once, not twice, but three times. It's because she was putting it back in that little envelope with the window with her own address on the outside. (laughs) Just kept posting it to herself. Oh, my goodness. That is very silly. Silly but funny. Um, And then I like this one, though. Denise posted about the jumper she'd been looking for all over the house. Of course, the only problem while she was looking for it, she was wearing it. (laughs) She had glasses. Oh, dear. There was a lady who forgot her daughter's name when she was introducing her to someone. Well, keep her anonymous, I think. Um, And there was also a post from someone who'd used glasses lens cleaner instead of her dry body oil it was in the yeah. both were in the bathroom on on the on the shelf she didn't have her glasses on at the time these mishaps 
do occur because somebody else uh, used bathroom wipes to take her makeup off. (laughs) But this one, I think, is both of our favourites, isn't it? Because Sarah wrote, just carried my cauliflower to the toilet instead of putting it in the fridge. Vegetables in strange places. Well, it's that, and it's also taking fruit and vegetables on a trip. It's quite common on the brain flog blooper chart, isn't it? And I do it so often, I often think I'm going to have to get these bloody vegetables a passport at some point. I'm just taking them everywhere. (laughs) Uh, But I'm glad I'm not alone. We're all at it. In the past, there's been a cucumber in the airing cupboard. Oh, dear. Potatoes taken to the car for some inexplicable reason. Uh, And I loved those frozen sausages taken up to the bedroom to defrost. Yes, that was a good one. Mm -hmm. So you're not going mad. If you want to hear more about the Brain Fog bloopers, join our chart, then head on over to our private Facebook group and you can share all your stories there. But we also put up serious advice, don't we, on midlife and everything that people need to know. Yes, all sorts of stuff goes on in the group. And we have group experts to help out with your questions as well. So do please join if you're not already a member. Uh, We put like episode recommendations from these podcasts up on there. Uh, Which brings us neatly to what we're going to be recommending this week. And first of all, we should say that uh, the episode is starring TV's Sarah Beanie, who is here to talk about how we make a home a home and what she's learned from decades of property development, as well as parenting four sons. I mean, I know you've got four, but four sons... I've got three girls and a boy. I don't know. I mean, I'll have to ask her about that difference, won't I? I think as well, we're all going to be very interested to know because she's going to be updating us on her recent battle with breast cancer and her plans for the future. Yes, but first, my friends, it's time for what we call the jibber-jabber section of the podcast, where Trish and I dip into our years of experience editing magazines, interviewing experts, going to launches and lunches, trying and testing all sorts to chat about something we think might be useful, entertaining or thoughtful for you to know about. You mean it's the bit where we waffle on about things like bin wins. Bins and bin wins. <laughs> right, our first jibber-jabber of season 10. And this week we're sliding softly into September with some Personal learnings from our summer break, which may be practical or helpful for you, or maybe none of those things. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But we're each going to share three little insights from our summers with you. Now, Lorraine, how has your experiment to reinvigorate your brain worked out? Because I know you, the brain fog, bloopers, etc. You're trying to beat it, aren't you? Tell us what you've been doing. Well, I know you scoffed at this little bit when I told you I was going to be testing it. And uh, do bear with me, listener, because, you know, this is groundbreaking investigative journalism Uh. here for you all. But I have been cleaning my teeth with my left hand. Wait for it. I'm naturally right-handed, but I was reading about things to do that would spark up, you know, all the synapses in the brain would really kind of reinvigorate, um, fire up the wires, as it were. And I read about cleaning your teeth with your left hand. Now, there is a lot of science behind this. You can Google it, people. But if you force your brain to use opposite hemispheres, then it builds and strengthens pathways that are there, the neural pathways, and it also creates new pathways. Makes sense. I can't do Sudoku or Wordle or any of those things, mainly because they're boring. Um, And I come from a family of absolute Wordle nerds, so I, I just can't get engaged with that. So I thought, well, I'll keep my brain alive by doing something physical. But I'm going to start small, I thought. So I'll start with the left hand teeth cleaning. 
Fair. Now, there is another reason why it's really good for you, because what happens when you clean your teeth with your left hand is you reach bits that your right hand, because you're in such a pattern with the other hand, you reach new bits. And I was also listening to the Diary of a CEO podcast, and they had a neurologist on who said the link between gum and teeth health and your brain is really strong. So it's really important as you age to have really well cleaned, thoroughly cleaned teeth. So I was, there's just no downside to this, Trish. No. Is the next stage flossing with your left hand? Have you tried that bit of flossing? <laughs> Hang on a moment. I try writing with my left hand. Yeah, that's hard. I can't even write with my right hand. I'm right-handed. It's hopeless. No, it's hard to just hold the thing. But I have been picking things up with my left hand, trying to sort of forcefully think of doing something with my left hand, not my right hand. And I have to say, I'm quite enjoying it. It's a pretty good teeth clean. I have to do a quick right hand swirzle around afterwards, obviously. Um, but there are other things. So Dr. Michael Mosley is quite good on this. If you Google his yes. work, look at his book, doing things that challenge your brain as you age. It's just really important to not get stuck into a rut so that you are constantly asking your brain to do other things and you're making both the hemispheres work at the same time. So that's where I am. Left hand cleaning. I'm not standing yes. on one leg cleaning my teeth oh. with my left hand. Uh, that's stage two of this experiment. That's stage two. Of I was skipping, <laughs> as you know, skipping every morning for five minutes, but I've lost my skipping You've rate, lost so that. that is... Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, what was oh. your first summer learning? Well, mine was a little bit sort of like that in terms of brainness. It's to do with driving because, you know, we talk on here quite a lot about the fact that in midlife yeah. and menopause, we can get a little bit anxious. We can like get scared of driving. Weird things happen. We don't know what side of the road we're on. We can't rem remember whether we should be turning left or right. All of that stuff. Well, I had a little bit of a cloud and silver lining experience because uh, like Candice, who you mentioned earlier, I got a speeding ticket <laughs> this summer for about the first time because I'm such a goody two-shoes. You know me. I don't. I, I know. Don't, I don't break rules. But anyway, somehow I managed to get a speeding ticket. And I was really peeved. I was like, oh, three points or you can go on a speed awareness course. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to have to do that. Three hours of my life. I'm never going to get back. Anyway, I did the speeding awareness course. It was Brilliant. And it really boosted my confidence about driving. Well, that's good. What did you learn? First of all, it was run by a lovely midlife. I've had a friend who did it who said it was run by a very boring sort of man. I had a really lovely, jolly midlife woman who tried to make it really nice for everyone and she was brilliant. But I think it just helped me because you start off by the first thing you have to learn is properly knowing and understanding speed limits. And that kind of really helps you if you know what you're looking out for on roads makes you more aware. You can look at things and go, oh, I know why that sign's there or I know what, what that one means and I need to pay attention to that. So I thought that was really good. They tell you obviously why it matters. You do all that breaking distance stuff, which is quite alarming, have to say. And then this one I really liked. It's there's, there was a section on how you can stay in control when really annoying things are happening. You're not all the idiot drivers yeah. everywhere. Cyclists coming at me. Oh, I had this awful person on the motorway when I was driving Esme to uni um, last week, tailgating me, you know, right up. Oh, that's annoying. Oh, it's really upset. I was kind of quite maybe nervous. I couldn't move across, all of that sort of thing. But so tell you how to deal with all of that. So I thought that was really good because, you know, we do get this kind of irrational anxiety about things we've been doing yeah. for years. And a lot of women stop driving because of it. Yes, I know. But I would say... Don't just wait to get a speeding ticket. You can do a driving refreshers course, which I googled. You can just go and have a lesson. So I would recommend that. 
and I'm feeling much happier and safer behind the wheel. Are you now. the uh, Max Verstappen then of uh, <laughs> middle-life women? So I do know about Formula One. I don't know about rugby. Yeah, not interested in that at all. Zoomy, <laughs> zoomy, too loud, too loud. Oh, too loud for you. Yes, too loud for me. Yes. I don't like that at all. No. Talking of loud, my number two thought about the summer is, well, I'm entering my jazz era. I think, Trish, brace yourselves. We started with me singing. Right. I realised throughout the summer holidays, um, and I think a lot of us do this in in midlife, I was stuck in a music rut. Yes. I was just in the echo chamber of what Spotify offered me, and we were going, Uh you know, all the things that we listen to all the time, the the classic midlife playlist and, you know, Bruno Mars being probably the most modern thing being offered to me. (laughs) Wow, you're really up to date. Mm. And I thought, Gosh, that's pretty bad. So I'm going to actively look for new music. And it's been quite a nice little journey. I found two things I'd like to recommend. Some of you probably already know about Gabriel's, who performed at Glastonbury. Love that voice, Jacob Lusk's voice. Yes, he wore that amazing bright pink tails. Yes. Singing with Elton John, didn't he? Yeah, so I popped that into the Spotify Mm -hmm. system, which I thought, it's just really nice to listen to. It's great in the background. It's very upbeat, very... I don't know, it's just really lovely vocals. And then I discovered the Icelandic Chinese singer, Lofi. Lofi, Laffy, I don't know how to pronounce it. L-A-U-F-E-Y. She did this wonderful song with the Philharmonic Orchestra. It's just really great music to have on in the background on a Saturday morning. And I thought, this is a good journey, isn't it? Let's start by looking at things that I wouldn't normally pick up on Spotify. And listening a bit to Joe Wiley on Radio 2, because she often recommends new music so I would highly recommend that oh what I wouldn't recommend go on is asking your teenage children (laughs) to recommend new music (laughs) so they said my son said sprinter I'm not listening to that again certainly not in public oh was it awful like sort of drilly rappy noisy thrashy I don't know I couldn't I didn't like it but yes I would highly recommend finding some new music in midlife So that was the sound of your summer. I love that. I'm going to add in, I found one when I watched Glastonbury on the telly, wasn't there, but uh, Maggie Rogers, American singer, young American singer, my new obsession. Beautiful. I'm writing that down, Trish. Little pixie haircut. Little pixie haircut. I think you'll like her. Amazing song called Alaska. Start with that and go from there. It's very good. Thank you very much. What have you learnt? Tell me something else. Well, it's now the time to bring up beetroot. I know it's very triggering for you. Disgusting. <laughs> Hate it. I know you do, but I found a lovely beetroot recipe. No, you didn't. Those two words don't go together, lovely and beetroot. Do you think I'm just putting this in to annoy you? Yeah, you're doing your be- you're the living form of Margot here. What have you done with beetroot? I know lots of people like it. Oh my God, I love it. Anyway, I found a lovely beetroot recipe yes. in one of my Anna Jones, you know, the Anna Jones cookbooks we've got. And I hadn't made it before and I had some beetroot in the fridge and I did. And it's just basically grated beetroot with orzo pasta. And you almost make it like a risotto. 20 minutes to make. It's got grated orange zest in it. And then you sprinkle like pumpkin seeds and feta cheese. Absolutely delicious. Very easy. I wish the listeners could see your little hand movements here. I know, I'm sprinkling, I'm grating. It's delicious, absolutely delicious. Horrible. And what did you think of that picture I sent you? Don't like it. Did you think it was beetroot? I did think it was beetroot, yes. Well, you said it was beetroot. It's not beetroot. 
No, I didn't. I tricked you. I tricked you. I just wanted to see what your reaction would be. Go on, what is it? It was my lovely apple and blackberry compote, breakfast compote to go with my Greek yoghurt. Picked some blackberries on Wimbledon Common and they looked so much like beetroot the way I'd chopped the apples. I thought I'd better send that to you. You use all these words I don't know, like (laughs) compote and orzo. Exactly. And rugby. It's very nice. I will try and find a link to the beetroot orzo. We can pop that on the group. Please pop it on Facebook for people. You won't want it, but other people just might. You never know. Right. That's two each, two apiece. What's your third? Well, my final learning this summer might be helpful, might be not, is saying yes and no to yes. the right things. Mm-hmm. So as you know, Trish, I do like to keep busy, sometimes manically busy, like my swimming. I'm down in Cornwall and before I went to Cornwall, I'd agreed to a three kilometre swim in a quarry. Now, three kilometres is not that far, but it's, you know, it's over an hour and you have to Ooh, be fittish. I'm going to say that's... There are 40, 120 lengths of my swimming pool. And uh, I'm increasingly nervous in the week leading up to this uh, lovely swim. Lovely venue to be doing it in St. Austell. Rarely open, so quite an opportunity. And then on the Thursday, I thought, I just don't want to do this. I haven't really been able to train because I'd had an eye infection, so I hadn't been in the sea or the ponds much. And I could do what I normally do and gruellingly put myself through it. Yes. You know, finish last and just feel a bit disappointed and worn out and all of those things. Or I could bravely say to my friends I was doing with, do you know what, I'm just not up to it this year, which would be one of the first times I've ever said no. And when I was telling you about it, you said a very good thing to me. You said, well, you you made a choice that was right for you and no one died. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I used to have that thing in my head that if I didn't do it, all hell would break loose. So, like anybody gives us stuff if we do or don't do things, like anyone cares. cares. And I'm not an Olympic athlete for God's sake, really. Who cares? (laughs) Get over yourself. So, I said no to that, but I said yes to something else that I probably would have said no to before. I'm always learning to surf. My life's work, learning to surf. Lovely George Stoy is teaching me down in Cornwall. I said yes to a group lesson, Polseth Ladies Surf Club wouldn't normally do that you're more of a one-to-one kind of a person yeah yes but it was absolutely brilliant well I'm often a bit worried about things like this because I'll be so old compared to everyone else but let me tell you Trish um, apart from the big surf movement that's happening in Ireland you didn't know about this did you I did not I will investigate huge increase in the number of women over 50 learning to surf in Ireland but they're all done with the cold water swimming so surfing's the next thing I think isn't it it's the next yes next your next step isn't it yeah anyway I'm stood there about to have my wonderful lesson which was absolutely brilliant happened at sunset Mm. so it's literally one of the most memorable things I've done and a lady joined the group ready to have the lesson and she told me she was very very nervous and very worried because she'd bought a voucher for bought a lesson for herself for her 50th birthday she'd grown up in Cornwall gone to live away and come back probably like I'm going to be doing at some point And one of the things she wanted to do is learn to surf, but she was terrified. But she thought, I'm just going to do it because now I'm 50. I can just do what I want. And I was just, and she said, I'm the oldest person here. And I said, well, you're not actually because I'm 55. (laughs) Um, I mean, we were quite a lot older than the others, but it was just really great to see that attitude. Good. And then the surf, one of the lady surf instructors said to me, oh, well, I only got into surfing because my mum started quite late and... You know, I was in my teenage years. So it was a really lovely moment. And I thought, just say yes to things that you really think would be a bit challenging. You want to try, but there's no pressure on yourself. But say no to things where you're putting yourself under unbearable pressure. 
So that was my yes-no learning over the summer. Well done. I think there's progress with you, Lorraine. Definitely. Definitely. Since we started this journey a few years ago together. Now, my third one, a bit tangential, but quite important, I would say, and you, you're going to have something to say about this as well. So while I was um, fiddling about down in East Sussex, I caught up with some family and met a cousin I hadn't seen for quite a few years. She'd had a heart attack earlier this year. She'd had a heart attack. She's early 60s. And then some of my other cousins, her sisters, who were all nurses, they all work in the NHS, she didn't know she was having a heart attack because... Wow. The reasons, because all we think of as a heart attack, symptoms, what are they? Pain in the left chest, down yeah, the left exactly. arm. Shoulder no, and arm. No, and why mm. is that? Because that's what happens to men. And of course, it's not what happens to women. Patriarchy, Trish, that's the reason. Patriarchy. Exactly. So I, then we had a good old chat about it. And my cousin who was the nurse was talking about it and telling us what the lay of the land actually is. And because... We're built so differently to men. We have very different cardiovascular systems. Our hearts are smaller, our blood vessels are narrower, so our heart attacks come on in very different ways. So this was my cousin. She said, oh, I just had this pain in my chest and I was feeling really sick, feeling really dizzy, and it went on for a couple of days. And eventually I called 111, is it 111, 111? And they went, mm, you're having a heart attack, please call an ambulance right now. But whereas men, they will, it comes on instantly. They tend to get much more of a big old, you know, sort of happens in a, in a, a kind of large and short space of time, large way in a short space of time. More women die because they don't call 999 in time because they don't recognise the symptoms. And I thought, uh, so we did a little bit of digging, a bit more digging. Uh, so many things affect women's risk of developing heart disease. Our kind of reproductive history, um, pregnancy, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, this was really interesting. Women age 40 or under who had endometriosis under 40, three times more likely to develop a heart attack. We don't know any of this, do we? Why don't we know this? We don't. It's the biggest yep. killer of women globally, heart disease yep. as well. So it's okay. we just don't know it because all the research, as you have quite correctly pointed out, is done on men and men having heart attacks. Obviously, I know, do know a bit about this because my dad's had five <laughs> heart attacks. Oh, dad. Um, dad. And his father and his father's brothers all oh, died of God. heart attacks. So it's, yes. we've been, my sister and I have been a high genetic risk for heart disease in the family. And there's, you know, it is, again, there's just not a lot. My sister had a heart incident um, earlier this year as well and is being monitored. And she's very healthy. I'm very healthy. We're Ooh. constantly being monitored. Um, and I have had an echocardiogram, which I'm going to have the re results of later uh i think november i'm going to have the, it's and i the lady who carried out the the scan the cardiogram said all the things you're saying we yep, just yep. don't know enough about it well we know enough about it we're just not telling women and obviously it's one of the things that hormone replacement therapy yes. can be quite helpful yes. in protecting you from certain forms of heart disease so we really should find out about it shouldn't we, we? we should, should be told about it at school and we should be really mindful of it, particularly genetically. We're really focused on breast cancer, aren't we, at this age? But we're less focused on things that are bigger killers for us, so Alzheimer's and heart disease. Exactly. But I think the, you know, the, the, the sort of overriding messages from this is that, you know, symptoms, you know, some chest pressure, nausea, sweating, vomiting can go on for a few days. Call an ambulance, go to the hospital, get yourself checked yes, out. And yeah. also relevant, the reason why I also brought it up is because the 29th of September is World Heart Day. 
So there we are. So you can find out more Brashar Foundation um, worth looking at their website if you do want some more information. Well, it's all been going on there. Beetroot learning music, over summer. I like heart that. Attacks. From beetroot to angina. <laughs> Very good. I hope it was helpful, everybody. Now, we're not medical experts. Yes. That's our disclaimer. So please check everything with your GP. Um, I hope some of the things we've chatted about might make you rethink or change things for the better in your lives. We'd love to hear what changed for you over the summer or what you learned about yourself or any kind of family thoughts or anything. Please email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. It's just me and Trish that monitor those emails. But it would be good if you put anything that we could share there because it would be nice for us to come back to this subject at some point. Well, now it's time to stop all this jibber-jabbering and meet our special guest. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our first guest of season 10, TV presenter and property developer Sarah Beanie, hardly needs any introduction because if you're anything like us, you'll feel like you've been friends with her for more than two decades since she hit our TV screens on the Channel 4 show Property Ladder. Losing charm, positivity and a practical can-do attitude, sporting her trademark tonsil blonde hair and boot-cut jeans, she got the nation hooked on home renovations in more TV shows such as Property Snakes and Ladders, how to Live Mortgage-Free, and UK's Best Place to Live. In recent years, she's been sharing her family life and Somerset house build in Sarah Beanie's A New Life in the Country, in which her husband Graham Swift and four sons, Billy 19, Charlie 17, Rafferty 15, and Laurie 13, also play starring roles. But it was earlier this year that we became even more intimate with Sarah, who is now 51, as we followed her journey through gruelling breast cancer treatment, in her remarkable documentary, Sarah Beanie vs. Breast Cancer. Before her diagnosis, she had started writing a book called The Simple Life, How I Found Home, which is out now. It's part personal philosophy, part autobiography, and part property buying and development guide, charting her surprising journey from living in a van at the age of 18 to building a mansion in her 40s. And she's joining us today to share some of her worldly wisdom as well as how she's getting right back on track after a major midlife health derailment. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Sarah. Thanks very much. Thanks for asking. Oh, now listen, congratulations on the book, which I have to say we both really enjoyed 
But we were intrigued as to why you called it the simple life, because your life seems to be anything but simple. Well, that's a really good question, actually. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how it got t- titled that, actually. Um, <laughs> if I'm really honest, I, I, I've got this in my head, I think, simplify life, and it all might be much better, simplify life. And I'm always about to simplify it like very soon. It's a goal. It's a goal to simplify life. But I, I guess if you knew how hectic my life was before, this is a simplified life. I like to be busy. You know, I've always spun many hundreds of plates at the same time because that's, I don't know why. I'm just the kind of person who chose to do that because that is a choice, isn't it? And so I was spinning all these plates and then, um, and then we decided to move to the country, which was a simplification because before that we had several businesses, none of which I write about in the book, actually, because I decided it was about homes that we'd had. So we had this in a wedding venue in Yorkshire, which was like a 32-bedroom stately home, which we turned into a wedding venue. And then we ended up with a home in London because, because we had the kids, and then that was largely based in London. So we ended up with a family home in London and this house in Yorkshire, which was a wedding venue. But because it was a wedding venue, we couldn't go there anymore because the kids always trashed it. So we'd we had to go on our own and leave the kids in London. Like we had a lovely house in London, a family house, but I got cross because they couldn't spend time in the countryside. So then in Somerset, we bought a field and built a cabin in the woods, which had was off grids. Graham and I go up to Yorkshire, which was like five hours there and five hours back, and run, try and run the wedding venue, which was difficult remotely. And then we'd work in London, have various other businesses, and then, then we'd go camping to... Somerset at weekends. Basically, that's very complicated. It was a very complicated situation. So simplifying that, which wouldn't be easy because most people wouldn't have so much going on. Yes. At the same time, all these other juggles, which all the kids were reaching that age where they all had to move into secondary school. And so I was thinking, oh my God, what then? What happens? Which schools they go to? And all of that got simplified because by us moving to Somerset, we sold the house, the wedding venue in Yorkshire. We sold our family house in London. We had one farm. They all went to school together, to the same place, all together. And then we sold the we sold everything and ended up with one place. That made made it simpler. But actually, it wasn't simpler. In fact, it was quite complicated. <laughs> what we dream of is the simple life. Yeah, yeah. So this has been uh, this last year has been a really exceptional one for you. Um, and I just want to thank you for making that documentary about your breast cancer journey because I found it you know with people around us going through some so so helpful and hopeful as well um so and I know it would have been a very brave decision because it's very exhausting and then you allowed all the cameras so that thank you very much for that but how are you feeling now um six months off the end of your treatment and what are the lessons you've learned that we can pass on to our listeners going through similar things whether they are experiencing it or are around breast cancer I sort of made the documentary because I thought, well, at least I could make something good come out of this situation. And I was in the fortunate position where I was able to go and talk to other people about, you know, the current situation of of how treatment is. I guess we a lot of us um, associate treatment of breast cancer with a very tragic situation of someone who's possibly died, but it could be like, a long time ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it'll be your mum or, or a friend or something, but it's often not current. And I thought it'd be really helpful for people to know what current treatment looks like. Because, you know, when I, as, I, as my second son, I said to him, when I told you, were you scared? And he said, well, I was, but then I realised that 
when you say cancer, you only think of the people who've died. You don't think about all the people who survived. And actually, we know like half of our friends have had cancer. It's just we don't talk about it anymore because it's like done and finished. So I'm not saying that all outcomes are great because they're not. And it's really terrifying still. But it's not like it used to be. It's not a death sentence in the way it used to be. It sometimes is. You know, the earlier the diagnosis, the better the outcome. And the one thing I'd say is I've met a few people who were so scared they had cancer that they didn't go to the doctor. Now, that is a mistake because early diagnosis, it's invariably curable. Not like it's not just even that they they can like arrest the growth. They can cure it. And the other thing I think I found really uplifting is the fact that cancer will not be what it is now in the future. You know, two generations time, they'll laugh at how ridiculous we were for worrying about it. So that's kind of exciting. You know, I didn't want it to be a kind of middle-aged woman's issue because it's not, breast cancer is not something that middle-aged women go through. It's, it might be them who might get it. Not always, like sometimes, mainly. But everybody who they're fortunate enough to have loving them goes through it too. So there's some unsung victims and heroes in, in the journey of any illness. And, and we must remember that. Because like, you, you mentioned about, um, you know, in years gone by. Now, my, my mother died of breast cancer 20 years ago, and I know that she had a very late diagnosis, exactly to your point. And your mother died 40 years ago, didn't she, your mother? And part of the show is about you accessing her medical records and researching the treatment she had or didn't have back in the 80s. And at the time, you were already writing the book and delving into your childhood memories. So how did sort of seeing you know, up close, her actual treatment plans affect your memories of that time in your life or what happened then? Oh, quite a lot, actually. I mean, I was already writing the book and I intentionally didn't want the book to be a cancer book. So I, I only talk about cancer in one short chapter in the book. In fact, I have said that I quite like perforation, so you can just choose to tear that section out if you kind of fancy it or not. But it did make me question my memories and, you know, the reality of a lot of the things that I remembered, obviously are not right but you know we all own our own edit don't we life is edited everything you do you edit it decide what to remember and what not to because we don't have enough time to remember all of it so we choose which bits we hang on to and I'd hung on to some things about my mother that which weren't well they were they weren't completely untrue they were just disproportionate to the reality and that's what we all do and it you know when we hang on to things which we're all prone to that have upset us in our lives or or shaped us in perhaps a negative way it made me think is that really definitely accurate or is that my edit if if I said to you I'll give you one minute tell me about your life but tell me all the worst bits and then said I'll give you one minute now tell me all the best bits they'd both be true but one would make me think you poor poor thing and the other would make me think, you have been jammy. What an amazing life you've had. And they're both true. So just choose your edit very carefully because you're in control of it. That's very good advice. And I, I loved watching your four sons being so positive around you in the documentary. I've got four kids, but I've got three girls and a boy. So <laughs> We should talk. <laughs> but their generation, I think, is going to be a little bit more hopeful about it because of the medical advances. So we talk about parenting a lot on this podcast. What advice would you give to parents, caregivers listening now in talking to their children about a diagnosis? What did you learn was a good way and perhaps what was a less good way? I just told them the truth. And they said, are you lying? And I said, no. 
And they said, will you promise not to lie? And I said, yes, I promise not to lie. So I didn't. I don't think there is a right and a wrong way to deal with it because I think it's each to their own and that, you know, however it works. But there's no question in my mind that knowledge is power. And for me, that's not the same for someone else. And if someone else chooses to deal with it a different way, that's entirely right. That's fine. But for me, I think knowledge is power. And the only thing that's scarier than the truth is thinking something's going on that you don't know. The children are very sensitive. They know when things are going on, but they're yeah. not being told them. And then they worry about something that is way worse than the thing that... Children don't learn from what we say. They learn from how we behave. And so what you say one thing and they're hearing another thing. So just tell the truth, I think. They're much more resilient. We all think that we are in control of manipulating children's emotions. We're not. We're just custodians for them. We're not. They don't belong to us. They're independent thinking things that will do whatever they're going to do. And and I think they probably deserve the respect of honesty. I think you're right, because at the beginning of the book, you say that your boys are your best counsellors. And I really liked that because, as you say, we don't always give our teenagers the credit they deserve. But have they got any examples of when they've kind of pulled you back on track or, or um, you know, given you advice that you hadn't thought of? Oh, so many times. I mean, literally weekly, I kind of think, oh. So if I, I have argued with my husband and talked to my kids about it and they've just gone, it's really inappropriate. Can you just stop complaining about dad? Uh, and I think, oh, all right, sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. They do say that. They're all up mm. for that, aren't they? They yeah. do like unfairness of opinion. And I'm like, okay, fine. And also about sentimental things they teach me. So my son, my husband burnt some of my, which I was really trauma traumatised by, some of my mother's broken dolls toys. And he burnt them all. I was absolutely furious and I was really upset about it. And I, my son said, oh, why are you so upset? And I said, well, because dad has burnt grandma Anne's like broken doll's high chair. And he said, and, and what's the problem with that? And I went, I was going to mend it one day. And he said, well, what were you going to do with it? And I said, well, we'll give it to your children. And he went, why would my children want that? I don't want your rubbish. <laughs> and then I was like, oh. And then I, I learned another thing and that is, they're my sentimental issues, not theirs. I love kids. I mean, the next generation is going to get us out of this mess, definitely. You know, the one we got ourselves into. Now, you do actually share quite a lot of wisdom in the book. That was that was why I was so pleased when I was reading the book over the summer. I was thinking, there's so many little snippets here to learn. We've written a little list of ones we think our midlife audience will relate to. I really um, like the idea of taking stock and slowing down. And you wrote, there is something really truly gorgeous about just being, which I thought was such an epiphany for someone as busy as you, um, but also about trying new adventures. We always think slowing down means not doing it. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means learning to be in the moment. So I'm going to read a little, a couple out here, and then you just explain what you meant by these little snippets of wisdom. So you say, new adventures begin with taking risks. Bravery will be rewarded. I guess I I like new things. I like kind of getting outside my comfort zone on, on every every level from next Friday night I'm not doing anything uh we could take a picnic and walk in a direction we've never walked and see where we go and have a picnic so that's one way of yeah. doing something you haven't done take a thermos of tea and walk somewhere that you haven't walked see what happens through that gate that you didn't go through before and from that to you know not going to the same restaurant always or you know, if you've never been to a comedy club, go to a comedy club. 
you know, if there's a theatre production on, you know, those local theatre productions where you pay like £1.50 and you get to go, just go. Like, it's only three hours of your life. Go and do something that you haven't done that you wondered what it was going to be like. And it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just just saying, as my husband says, it's it's about saying why not rather than why. Don't say why, just say why not. Why not? Let, yeah, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And what about um, this one? You don't have to fill every waking hour with achievement not to be a failure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, yes. We all feel a bit like that, I think, <laughs> midlife women. Yeah. Yes, you don't. You can do nothing. That's okay. You can, and I am learning that that is something I'm learning, that a whole morning I can, like, you know, tie up one of beans for four hours and not think, what a useless morning. You Would you used to have thought that? Yeah, I'd have just thought that was a terrible waste of time. <laughs> or I can re- now sit and read a magazine, which I feel quite is quite an achievement. I can sit, like, on a sofa and read a whole article just sitting that to me is quite an achievement. You you also said that um, positive things happen to positive people, which is what I say to my teenagers about every twenty minutes when they're grumbling about things. How do we get the positive back in in our lives? Because it's a bit of a melancholy time, I think, uh, midlife, and those are our listeners. Well, you have a choice every day. You can't change everything that goes on, but you can change how you feel about it. You always have choices. All day, every day, you have a choice. I met this lovely teacher who's a friend of mine, actually, and she said to one of her pupils, they were not doing their homework, and she said, he said, I don't want to do my homework. And she said, well, don't. Don't do your homework. And he said, well, what do you mean? And she said, you have a choice. You can do your homework or you cannot do your homework. They're both your options. And he said, but if I don't do my homework, I'll get a detention. And she said, yeah, that's the outcome of that. Um, or you can do your homework. And what would be the outcome of that? And he said, well, then I'd do my homework and then you might be really pleased with me and I wouldn't have any homework to do. And she went, mm-hmm, that's, that's definitely also the outcome. So you have two different outcomes, but he does have a choice. Like he can do his homework or not do his homework. You have a choice every day. You have a choice. Every moment of every day, you have a choice. You can choose how you feel about everything that happens. You can choose whether to do this or that. We are actually entirely empowered, all of us. And I think one of the things that we find difficult is that we think we're not in control. We're in control of every second of every day because we can choose how we feel about other people and what they do. And we can care or not care, or we can get angry or not get angry. Those are your choices. They just have different outcomes. So uh, I'm going to ask a question that when a friend of mine heard that you were going to be on the show, she said, oh, my God, you've, you've got to ask Sarah this. So she's just bought a massive wreck. She's had a midlife change of direction. And I've got other friends, and we hear this a lot, moving out, downsizing or going to the country, starting again after divorce. It's, it's typical of this particular life stage. So what would you say would be your tips, maybe three tips for maybe rebuilding life after something big or buying a wreck and rebuilding it? Because I guess that's is the house stuff we want as well from you, young lady. Oh, it's a bit late now if you have actually bought a wreck, but I She's would say it. Oh, <laughs> too late. I wouldn't rush into buying somewhere because you are tied by your home. And I mm. think the inclination is you think, oh gosh, I've got this whole home environment I've lost. So now I need to create another home. Maybe you need to kind of try and, be happy in yourself before you try and find a home to put your oh, happy person in. Because it's actually about you, isn't it? You don't need to be in a place to be 
content. And that's just more chores to do. You know, ultimately, particularly at, at this sort of age, I kind of think, well, all the kids are leaving home and they're all, there is a quite a, a good idea now, in my opinion, to going, mm, maybe I just like not have a home and and let the kids have the money. And there were, my kids are way too young to do that. But, you know, if you've got a little bit older children, give them the money and and have fun. Well, I, I just want to go and live abroad when it all yes. happens, when they've all gone, you see. Mr. Candy is resistant to this, though, because he quite likes regularity. Yeah, you, you <laughs> just imagine a nice one-bedroom flat in Paris and you could just go out to breakfast, out to lunch, out to supper. Yeah, and then you could go and visit your children periodically. And yeah. be terribly glamorous and, and just kind of, you know, um, yeah, city break. Take a different view. I see a, a Sarah Beanie program coming on in a few minutes <laughs> about that. You and Graham in Paris. <laughs> Alfie, wouldn't that be lovely? Of course, at this life stage, we're also grappling with menopause. Uh, I mean, the rain and I both found our mid-40s so hard. The physical, mental symptoms, the emotional symptoms. We were very angry. <laughs> the men in our life drove us mad, became even more irritating, which is probably not their fault. It's more to do with the rage. But um, how was your experience of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's at the same time. So well, I'm, we moved to the country where five years ago, where, you know, the, the thousands of plates that you spin all the time. I had plates that spun. And and, and the reason that I found moving to the country really hard is that, that I have some other people who were spinning some of them for me you know I'd have like the old person who pick up the ones I dropped and then I moved to the country and let them all smash on the floor because I didn't have anyone to any of it and so you start again and all those plates are smashed and then you go oh so that was quite overwhelming because I was really worried about the children starting completely new they knew no, no one so they went to a school where they didn't know one person had no friends and nothing didn't know the area didn't know anything so we had that, which was really massive at the same time as I definitely was going through the menopause and then got cancer and then built a house. So I'm not sure I can dissect what in that what? five years what was what. The thing that I definitely noticed is somewhere in that time, I sort of lost the ability to be, you know, my accelerator pedal went from naught to a thousand. And it was always rational. It still is rational because I always say, to the kids, you know, the fact that I go completely ballistic about something. I don't go completely ballistic because they've they've made me a cup of tea. You know, I'm not I'm not mental. It's because they haven't done something I've asked them to do. But you know, I'll sort of say, oh, please, could you, I don't know, empty the dishwasher? And I'll go, yeah, and then walk out. And then I'll go, where are you? Where? Are you? And then then they're hiding, so they don't have to do it. And whereas that would have meant I'd have gone through various gears of irritation and frustration as I said can you come back and empty the dishwasher now it go I go straight to a thousand miles an hour and go absolutely ballistic sometimes not always but that I suppose that's the thing that I've noticed is that I find my accelerator pedals got quite slippy <laughs> like and then I become completely irrational about something but it's always about something that is reasonable to be irrational about it's not and it's not out of nothing yes it's just that it's a disproportionate fury to the crime if that makes sense <laughs> tell us a little bit about graham then because you've known each other for such a long time since you were a teenager 18 19 I think, yeah weren't you? yeah um so you've been from that bit of sort of i think living in a car at one point or a yeah. friend, right the way through to where you are now how do, how have you i'm sure everyone wants to know this how do you maintain a relationship through so much change and particularly over the last sort of couple of years, which has been 
a really challenging and, and probably traumatic time for the two of you. He was amazing, actually. He was really brilliant. And I don't know, I picked a good husband, I guess. I'm lucky. And it probably is made better that we have a really big extended family and there's a there's a lot to give up, if I'm honest. I'm not going to say we've just, you know, spent the last 33 years just totally joyously happy, skipping well, a few fields. Yeah. Be really weird. It goes through ups and downs and, you know, and it's been really tough at, at times, but, but I want to stay married to Graham and Graham wants to stay married to me. And I suppose he once said to me, which I thought was really wise, actually, he said, um, the thing is, is, is you're not prepared to only see the children sometimes and neither am I. So therefore we're going to stay married. So now we have a choice. We can stay married and be happy or we can stay married and be unhappy, which we do. And I thought, Ooh, maybe we'll try the happy one. He went, Ooh, sounds good idea. Let's do that then. <laughs> and it was very rational, wasn't it? You just kind of go, neither of us are prepared to compromise. So make it work. But there's no secret bullet. And I'm not judging anyone else. And every relationship is different. And no marriage is easy, is it? It's No, it's, God, no. It's no. easy at times. And then it's not easy at times. And I mean, he's having a brilliant time now. You know, he's playing in a rock band with his sons. What's not to like? <laughs> he's having a brilliant time. It's the best midlife crisis I can think of. Anyway, I might just go for it. That's totally brilliant. So you, you, what you saw them actually at Glastonbury this year, which was your first time uh, going to Glastonbury. You were fifty-one. Do you have in your head other firsts to be trying between? starting now because a lot of midlife women they they kind of do things we hear this a lot on the Facebook group they go on solar holidays for the first time they pick up an instrument for the first time what what have you got in your head as other firsts for your midlife years well I'd like I really want to write a children's novel which I'm going to them after this book now I'm going to do going to do that I'd like to do the voice on a children's cartoon film that would be an animated film I'd really like to do that uh, we're building a film and TV studio at home. So I'd really like to have young people who I'd like to mix people who are making films with people who would like to train in films. So, yeah, education. is. I've got so many things I'd like to do in life. Big old to-do list. It is. I don't see myself as retired now. This is like a, you know, that's what cancer did for me is it made me think that I think retiring is for really old people, like maybe 95 or something, you know. Like ages away, ages, ages. Yeah. Now, the final question. Um, obviously, we get to read and sit about and see you property developing, uh, building your house in Somerset. But the book, really, it's about creating home and what that means to you. So we'd love to finish with what home means to you, either in three words or in one sentence. Well, it's mainly where my dog is, actually. I've got two dogs, but one's the mother of the other one. <laughs> She's perfect. They're both perfect, actually. What home is... It's kind of where all the things you love are. But I've realised that it's not things that I love. It's anything with a heartbeat I really love. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us. And we do actually have a copy of your book to give away uh, to our listeners on our private Facebook group. <laughs> 
If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Oh, that was so lovely talking to Sarah. And given her expertise, I feel like maybe a little home-based nostalgia noodle might be coming on. Should we do something in the home or garden? Well, when I was having my should I ask a man situation oh, yes, over sunbeds. the sunbeds mm-hmm. this summer, what had struck me when I was in home base looking at all of the garden furniture is how boring oh, right. it is now. Because I was remembering back in the day when I was little and we would go round to my uh, grandma's house. She was in Paynton, Devon. Mm-hmm. Garden furniture was just so colourful. It was just covered in florals. It was orange. It was frou-frou, wasn't it? Yes. Frou-frou. Padded. Lots of padding, buttons. But I then remembered that we have the, a kind of family folklore story of the oh, yes. garden furniture from the 80s. And she would have these little deck chairs that uh-huh. you would sit in that would take your finger uh, off, basically, if you tried to snapshot them. Yes. <laughs> I know. My mum would always be shouting, don't go near the deck chairs, <laughs> to us as children. And I remember her sitting in one of the deck chairs holding one of her, she liked tea in a china cup with a saucer and she sat into it and the thing oh. snapped shut. She oh. was tiny, Grandma, she was under five foot, so she was snapped into it. Like a Venus flytrap. And I just remember this little hand oh. sticking up with the tea and the oh, roses on the cup. cup and saucer. All oh. the same, no tea lost, not a drop spilt, but poor old Grandma folded oh. into the oh, very floral that. garden furniture. Do you remember those kind of swings? Like it was like a two-seater flowery padding oh, with yeah. a parasol and a swing. Them. You know, we didn't ha- we didn't have any of that. Yeah. We just about had a sort of stripey sun lounger that would leave a horrid imprint on your skin. <laughs> no fancy padding for us in our house, unfortunately. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the first episode of season 10. Who would have thought we'd have got all this way with our little podcast? I have to say, we have actually got a stellar lineup uh, this season of amazing midlife women and authors and TV presenters and experts. It's really good. We've worked really hard to make it work for you. Uh, Anything else to add, Trish? Well, I was going to say, back by popular demand, your episodes are going to be downloading on a Sunday now. We dallied with a Monday, didn't we, for a little while, and um, people didn't people like didn't it. Like it. <laughs> I think because everybody's too listening, maybe walking the dog. Ironing. Ironing. We get a lot of ironing. Yes, exactly. Anyway, wherever you listen to your podcast, we do hope that you enjoy it and listen out for your future episodes. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.